Powell Highway is not just about social and dancing, which it is. And it's not just about making money, if that's how you make your living. But it's like you're connecting, right? Mm -hmm. This is a pilgrimage and we're hitting all these places that are really spiritually important. And we're becoming more healthy spiritually by the end of the film because we've been to these places and connected with these people. That's so Powell, Powell Highway is yeah. the red road. Mm -hmm. well, this might have been silly, but I kind of thought there would be more powwows. Welcome back to week two of the Christmas miracle that is Powwow Highway. Tully, Jason, Sunrise, Candace, and Angela share more about the dramatic conclusion to our favorite holiday movie. So, and also going back with what Sunrise was saying about using a Black Hills location, but not really focusing on those faces of those white people. Like, this is kind of the point of view of our characters. And so they're not going to go and do the tourist thing and go see those white dudes. The beautiful vista of what we see when he's on top of the Black Hills, that's the important thing for us. Seeing that, having that that feeling, having that spiritual whatever that that you feel by being there and connecting with that land. And so, you know, going to Buddy finds that they're on a detour now and he gets, he's yelling at Philbert and this is the time that Philbert finally stands up to him and he says, this is the most sacred place in America. Maybe the world, we are gathering power. And so that, when our, our characters start to shift. And so it's, it's, it's a big, important moment. Mm -hmm. And it happens right there in the, you know, in the Black Hills. And it's also where they learn about Powwow, mm -hmm. Pine Ridge. So being at the cattle place, everybody's all pissed because they don't know where uh, Buddy is. And they think he stole the money and is going to go on a month-long drunk until he runs out the money and comes back home. But the chief uh, believes and tells him, you know, that, you know, he's always been good for the people. So I know he's going to do good for us. He's done a lot for the tribe. And so then um, we find out yeah. Sandy Youngblood is in cahoots <laughs> with the feds. The feds mm -hmm. And they yeah. have Red Bow that we learned that that's why Bonnie was arrested to get Buddy out of town so he wouldn't be there for the boat. So I, yeah, I think that that was totally planted by them. Yeah. Because that's the only way, because when they pull her over, they're like, oh yeah, there it is. There's the car. Mm -hmm. So, you know, back then you didn't lock your car so it would have been super easy to just pop the trunk hide it in there when she was somewhere else at work or whatever and she would never know it was there because you didn't you didn't lock anything back then not really you took your stereo with you <laughs> yeah yeah and the feds also, are definitely tracking like aim members yeah family members, right? of AIM members. absolutely absolutely yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah also guys it's a movie <laughs> Christmas magic. Movie. It's magic. 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 But in the police station, that's where Stop. we learned that it was all set uh, set up. Yeah, not magic. Pretty much bureaucracy. Of, yeah. And uh, yeah. unfortunately, that's reality when it comes to the feds and, and American. You know? <laughs> oh, that's going in your files. <laughs> yeah. So then, you know, they're driving. That's when Buddy has a flashback of seeing when he and Philbert were kids and he was mean to him. And Bonnie was the only one who was nice to him. And he asked Philbert, you know, what do you remember about our childhood? And all he remembers about Bonnie being nice to him. And so then we go to the jail where Bonnie gets to see her kids for five minutes and they, she tells them to call Rabbit and then they cut her off like before the five minutes is up because they're whispering 
And this next scene is another scene I really liked. And this was a scene where Philbert pulls over and just gets out of the car and walks out and starts walking to a creek or something. Did you guys have any thoughts or feelings on this scene? It looked really cold. Yeah. <laughs> it looks cold. It looks well, that's freezing. when he starts singing, right? Yeah, yeah. He's chanting. Yeah. And so what happens is, yeah. what I like about it, so he gets out and walks. And of course, Buddy's being an asshole. I was like, what the fuck are you doing, man? Get back in the car. We got to go. Yeah. And he goes out there and he's starting to chant. And all of a sudden, Buddy shows up. And they just stare yeah. at each other for a long time. You know, Buddy looks like he's pissed. And, yeah. then, and then Philbert starts chanting again. And Buddy's starting to get in the mood of it and starts yeah. eventually chanting along with them. And yeah. so we're starting to see Buddy soften up a bit. Mm-hmm. And it's yeah. also where they broke they bro out. They yeah. Like, yeah. They He's like, oh, they get, they get baptized. Yeah. yeah. It's renewal. Mm-hmm. And to me, uh, it's reminiscent of. I'm sure other tribes have this tradition too. It, it, I know it's 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 Christmas time, and we don't know exactly when the first snow is in this movie or anything like that. But it reminds me of that time. Like we have a tradition in our tribe that if, during the first snow, you go and you take a snow bath. You know, it takes, they say that it's supposed to be healthy for you, and you, you know, it helps your immune system. Hmm. And um, even Navajo people do that too. Yeah, I, I was like, I'm yeah, and. Uh, and also going to water for our people, you know, that's what it reminds me of renewal and uh, he's gathering his medicine and also greeting, I assume it's dawn, you know, greeting the dawn. So uh, like he's coming in, he's gathering that power and, and he's taking Buddy along with him. It's a beautiful scene, beautiful, like they're reconnect, they're starting to really connect, I think maybe on a deeper level because now Buddy is, I think he's starting to listen to Phil had to manhandle him a little bit to get him to be like, hey. Basically picked him up off the ground. (laughs) I think he told him, you don't, did he say no one or you don't get to grab me anymore? He said something like, no one grabbed me. I think it's, I think it's no one, I think. No one, like, so it sounded like maybe there was this history of this, but in Mm -hmm. this, in this moment, they are connecting and it is, it's a, it's a good Jason's <laughs> growing out moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely part of like this, like uh, buddy genre here. Buddy love, buddy, buddy love. Yeah, this is definitely a moment where like two men are uh, are fragile with each other, and the spirituality is really guiding them, and that's like a really um, mm-hmm. unconventional masculinity, I think. Also, you mm-hmm. know, just into like a, a male buddy movie. Another important thing is this where Buddy gets his first token and he takes off his boot and finds this little flat stone in his boot, but not to make it too serious. Of course, he takes a stone and he starts sniffing on it. <laughs> he's a dog. <laughs> and then they go visit Buddy's war buddy, uh, Buddy's war buddy, Buddy's friend. And you know, with two with the gun through the window and asking who they are, and then they find out it's it's Buddy, and then they asked Philbert if he was at Wounded Knee or Glala, and uh, Philbert was like, no, but I heard about it. <laughs> and that was like a kind of a weird scene, too, like it's this awkwardness. I felt like Philbert wanted to be there, and we don't know why he wasn't there, because he, you would think he would have been, right? Mm-hmm. And so we don't know what his backstory is of what happened, but to me, that was interesting how that scene plays out. And then that's when they sit around talking about this like Belfast mm-hmm. and they drink the bottle of water, the white man's water. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh God, yeah. 
And then the drinking the white man's water filter. White man's water, yeah. But there's Captain Crunch on the uh, fridge. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and cereal, goddamn. <laughs> Literally, it's a white yeah. man on that cereal. <laughs> it's like they apparently don't want uranium or cancer. They're drinking this white man's water. So <laughs> weak people. They don't like that. Don't mind that red dye in the Captain Crunch. <laughs> yeah, red dye. Red dye number two. Yeah, red dye number two in the eighties. Yeah. <laughs> right. Then uh, Philbert often arrived to Denver, and he bumps Buddy and says, "But after they go to the powwow, <laughs> right? Yeah. It's funny how they just leave everything. He's like, do you have room? Like, well, yeah, we'll make room. I was like, you not taking anything? You just going? <laughs> well, you know, when it's like Belfast, like Belfast, <laughs> <laughs> like the stop the." Gestapo. Gestapo. Well, yeah, but that trunk was probably a four-person trunk. You know, you could fit a yeah. lot of stuff in it. That place was pretty depressing where they lived. It was not a lot going on in that little space. Mm -hmm. And so then we get to the powwow scene. Did you guys want to talk any more about this? Because we kind of did talk about it at the beginning. I mean, it's this is where that great line is, the food line. Yeah. And I was like, oh, this is real. Um, yeah. A little more? It, Oh yeah, a little more. Yeah, a little more. Yeah, a little more. Guys, just like. And so I felt like they just like planned <laughs> during this production that there was going to be a powwow happening in Pine right. right? Yeah, they just showed up with their yeah, cameras. They just showed, yeah. 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 In that scene with Buddy and the Vietnam vet guy in the background, there's this little kid kind of just staring at the camera. <laughs> <laughs> right, uh -huh. <laughs> Oh, the other thing for Jason is when those goons attack mm -hmm. Buddy and Grand Green throws a knife, when they leave, they tell Red Bow that he better leave town or he's going to be prison like Peltier. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> got to drop that in there, guys. Got to drop that in there. Yeah, got to make sure y'all remember, you know, he has got some baggage shit that's happening. <laughs> no shit. <laughs> so, you know, so the powwow music starts up and of course, Gilbert's over there banging a drum and singing along with them. This is also a very important scene for me because, you know, we see Buddy now wearing the bone choker that has his purple heart in it. Mm -hmm. it's, you know, mm -hmm. and, and Gilbert tells him he should wear it more often because he should be proud. And he's also wearing his AIM shirt, you know, his AIM t-shirt. Yeah. And then, yeah. of course, you know, Graham Greene, who just does great in every movie he's in, Ooh. yeah, again, steals this scene, this one scene, and you're really feeling his emotions and feeling what he's doing. And Buddy's trying to leave because, like, you, you know, you guys talked about Harry says how they are at a basketball court and thinking feathers and bees is culture. And Jimmy says something that's, you know, really, really, I thought was really important. He just says, you've gotten mean. Mm -hmm. And so really like, poignant. And Buddy just gets up and leaves. Mm -hmm. And so we don't know what that means until then we see him dancing out there. And mm -hmm. he's actually, he has a smile when he sees Philbert banging a drum. He looks over at Philbert, and they, he smiles. And so I thought that was like really cool, you know, character, really cool scene and everything in there. Was, you know, and of course, Graham Greene being a badass. So then, knife. yeah, stone at knife. <laughs> <laughs> but you you do see like how important the the a powwow is in this sense of like where it's good for a Martinez to like he slowly lets his guard down. He's he's dancing, and then you have like um, Philbert. He's singing, and there you know people are eating, and then like 
this Vietnam veteran guy who's clearly messed up. It's his one way, maybe not that we know of to like feel connected, you know, and it's like every, every, it kind of makes you realize it made me realize, I guess, in the sense of like how, how important just these for social aspects that a powwow is to, for, for, uh, for, for native people to attend just those things you probably think about. I don't, I don't think about it, I guess, but maybe if I thought about it more, I'd be like, Oh, this is important. This is like, it, re it reminded me of those, like those simple things that you just, that come with attending a powwow, you know, mm -hmm. how important that is to, to, and I don't know, man, that says some, that says someone who comes from Oklahoma, I don't know if that's necessarily how that would translate to like, um, say some Southwest folks that don't art powwow culture, but mm -hmm. right. I'd be interested in hearing their take on that. Yeah. It'd be called Potlatch Highway. Yeah. Or Navajo people who have ceremonies and that's different. Like that's mm -hmm. not anything like powwow, but mm -hmm. they so you would know about that sometimes. Ceremony trek is what it would be. Ceremony. <laughs> <laughs> and so then we get to the foster home where the kids escape and and they go out to Santa Fe Square where we'd probably all be in, right? Yeah. <laughs> see those people. It's so fun. It was it was fun to see that. Hey, I know that place. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> and so they ask her, and they go to that lady and ask if, she, if she's Indian. And they said, my mama's Indian too. Mm -hmm. And the lady asked what tribe they are, and they said, we're Indian. <laughs> so they don't, and so then they just ask for money for phone call because their mama's in jail. Mm -hmm. And so the lady gives them a, the money, and they get on the phone, and that little kid asks Rabbit, Rabbit, we're tribe, are we and Jane? And so then, um, and then, you know, we got to drive down the road, that cool shot we talked about, mm -hmm. and all of a sudden, uh, Philbert stops and says, Fort Robertson's around here. And he pops out the door and gets out and leaves. I'm a gene who's in the back seat saying, Philbert, get back in here. It's freezing. And Buddy's like, just close the window, Wolf. Because <laughs> <laughs> now he knows what's going on with his cat, you know, and let him just do it, do his thing. And so then we see the, you know, Fort Robertson Cheyenne outbreak sign. Do you guys kind of want to talk about this and what this significance of this scene is? Does anyone know about this, this outbreak? I wasn't familiar with it. No, I wasn't neither. And I was yeah okay. i'm glad they i'm glad we had this moment where he's like reading the sign because i was reading it yeah. too and i was like <laughs> yeah i mean they held on that sign which i thought was really cool mm -hmm. that you got to actually read what it was yeah mm -hmm. basically it was the cheyenne were sent to oklahoma to live in indian territory and they didn't like it there so they walked back to their homeland and along the way they lost some people and when they got there they got captured and got put in prison and what it didn't say in the line was that there was a, a commanding officer who imprisoned the Indians in a log barrack and attempted to starve them into submission. <laughs> and so these, these Indians who used a few uh, weapons they had smuggled into the building began the outbreak. And that was on at 9 p.m. on January 9th at 1879. And so they had like a big battle and they fought them and they escaped, but unable to have horses, they eluded the pursuing tr troops for 12 days by heading northwest through the rough terrain of Pine Ridge. And so soldiers discovered they were hiding in a place on Antelope Creek on January 22nd, but the Indians refused to surrender. And during the outbreak, 64 Cheyenne and 11 soldiers were killed. 
and more than 70 were recaptured and several escaped. And a number of casualties made with the Cheyenne outbreak, one of our, the major conflicts during the Indian Wars. This, again, was an important place to show, even though we're goofing about like these, histor these historical things that they're talking about, if we kind of like do this as like a, a study of like our history, even though they're just brief talking, these are like really crazy things that happen. And I had a, a, a person who read my screenplay and in my screenplay, I was talked about like how, you know, this is a genocide that the Indians had, you know, we, we survived this genocide and this was a white woman. And she would say, it wasn't a genocide. And so reading that sign say, actually, <laughs> yes, it was a fucking genocide. <laughs> yeah. Who was this woman? Like, Jesus. They're not taught their history. They're not taught the reality of what America is. They're going to tell them about, you know, the genocide in other countries, but they're not going to talk about the genocide here. Now, I, I wrote a three-page brief for my bosses because they had no idea. It's 2022. It's 2022, and they, they didn't know about the termination policy. They didn't know about relocation. They didn't know about the 60s scoop. They didn't know about resident, residential schools. And they were like, I just don't understand, you know, I know that there's a lot of mistrust between the federal government and natives, but, you know, I don't quite know why. And I was like, here, let me, let me play this out for you. <laughs> I hope they paid you for that or bought you lunch at least. I, well, I, yes, it, it went really well. Gave you a piece of land. Very yeah, they gave you <laughs> Good Lord. I got my land up in Alaska and oh, and over <laughs> in Chickasha. So, you know. And so again, you know, at the scene, Philbert, you know, gets the vision of those, the, the Cheyenne as they're walking mm -hmm. through that, through the snow. And there's that, mm -hmm. I thought it was a really beautiful shot of that guy on the horseback with the backlight on him. I really mm -hmm. love those kind of visuals. Well, it's just like, it's like the same number of the people that are in the car now too. Also, it's like mirrors wow. who we're seeing. <clears throat> yeah. Okay. Uh, including the kids i think there's like two kids yeah. in that moment as well yeah yeah cool so I, that was well, I didn't cool. catch that yeah and so it's then been, yeah finds his second token and it looks like it's a piece of snow is that what it was or do y'all <laughs> yeah it looked like, like ice to me and i was like isn't it gonna melt <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah he just picks it up out of the snow just, he makes it out of a clump and so then he holds it up and all of a sudden, Buddy shows up, and he shows Buddy, and Buddy nods. And so, again, it shows this Buddy starting to accept this journey, accept Gilbert as this powerful healer warrior that he's going, he's becoming. Is how I read that scene. They're on the same page finally. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so then they stop at the gas station, and Gilbert makes that big ass order of food, <laughs> and he sees the jailbreak on TV. And then another important scene to me as a kid was this next scene where. They're at this park and it's kind of like in front of this real big refinery kind of thing, just real gross machinery smokestack. And he tells the story uh, uh, about the trickster story. Mm. And so did you guys have any thoughts on this scene? So this was showing, yeah, I wrote down that Buddy was, you know, giving him a hard time about these stories. But at that point with that story and the acceptance of their passengers, and how much they appreciated the story of the ancestors. It seemed like Buddy was more open to believing and accepting the importance of those kinds of stories. Yeah, yeah, because it starts off, you know, he tells the story and says, 
and you know he ends up uh, saying chasing shadows where the tree hangs over your head and the two friends like the story and say he should be a historian and buddy's like these are fairy mm -hmm. stories yeah. and, and and Philbert replies this is stories of our ancestors how the old ones dealt with problems mm -hmm. yeah. often the problems never change nor the people and he starts yeah. crying I mean he's yeah, like he starts really crying that's definitely yeah. the escalation of that kind of binary opposite thing that's going between them. It's like, you know, traditionalism versus this hard edged, like resist, you know, the, this resistance against like a, the old ways and trying to like, you know, save the land and save the resources and fight off the man like here and now and stuff. And that, that definitely is like the really, you, that really kind of erupts in that scene, you know, full, full burst and, you kind of like thinking you're like god you're an asshole hey martinez like why don't you just like soften up a little bit this man's trying to teach you like some lessons and yeah, yeah. that is a really interesting scene and he kind of does because when he looks at them he kind of says man i'm not trying to shit on your parade but you know yeah. we're trying he goes these stories don't tell us how how our reses are turning to sewers mm -hmm. and he's like white america is hungry they want our oil our coal our uranium mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. whatever it is and they're going to take it whatever it is yeah yeah you know people response says they want Wajia the trickster won't let them Wajia mm -hmm. is the creator of the universe he will play chicken you will wait and see okay. and we're seeing the character development between those two and, and this idea of, of how stories are healing things you know these are things but how do we use them and what can we use because you can use them with what buddy wants to do you know is you know protecting the people and so it's it's but how are we going to use them so anyways what do you what anything else you guys got to say about that well it's also like staged in front of like that refinery or whatever that is like there's this like smokestack going up and it's like so apparent that like this is like part of the issue and it it really visually communicates i think like buddy's sense of like can't you see it's like very apparent it's right in yeah. front of you. These are the issues right in front of us now. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, yeah, Philbert's uh, statement there is like just as important. And uh, like all that background kind of goes away as soon as like we understand like the importance of why we need to listen and think about how to apply what's being taught. Mm -hmm. um, but that's an interesting just position where they place this scene in relation to all that stuff because it, it is super distracting and it's hard to yeah stay focused on you know, the right paths when all this stuff is just completely surrounding them. So I thought yeah. that was really interesting. So um, there's also the aspect that like you have a man who's actually been to war and yeah. perhaps killed people. And, mm -hmm. and then you have a man who kind of romanticizes war and wants to be a warrior. Mm -hmm. And he's never actually been to war. He's never so actually been away somewhere. Right? <laughs> yeah. The probably the meaning of that scene is where you had wounded knee, and he's like, I heard yeah. about it. Yeah, 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 yeah. So you have we also have to keep in mind that like there's that re that the reality of like someone who's actually been at war and someone who hasn't yet, and yet mm -hmm. there's there's a baggage that comes with that, with that, uh, with being a veteran that I don't know about, you know. Mm -hmm. And then neither does Filbert. Mm -hmm. right. I also feel like this scene, the way it was handled, was handled very beautifully. And it's a lot of it's Gary Farmer's performance. Like, because this mm -hmm. could have easily strayed into weird corniness. And it almost does because that 
that refinery is just so big, you know, and I, I really felt hit over the head with it. I was like, wow, there it is pollution, you know, and, uh, and, and I think um, Martinez even says it, you know, he's like, what does he say? The, the government or the U S government, they want, they want our, our oil, our coal, they want our things and they're going to take it, you know? And, but uh, because Gary Farmer has that, he, he's able to tell, he's able to tap into that story. He's able to tap into an old teaching, uh, ancestral teachings, uh, community teachings. He's able to tap into the story and just tell it so earnestly that, uh, you know, it, it, that becomes the, he's just able to sell it and we're able to buy for a little we're able to buy that maybe Martinez, like maybe that some of that's getting through to him, that that's going to be what he will also use as, you know, later in the film. So, yeah, so I felt like masterfully handled uh, scene because it, it could have been super, super corny. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, he doesn't, I mean, he, he does just enough for us to really feel the emotion mm. and he's still like struggling, but it's like so like, then he's got to work through to communicate it's like not about the crying which it could have been and yeah and just the way he sort of slowly leans down and has the confrontation with buddy it, it is a moment where buddy has to like he really has to take into consideration other people matter <laughs> mm -hmm. right which yeah. is what he's been like staving off. It's like, uh, this is a really important moment, I think, for him to really grow. Um, you can't refute somebody's emotions and you can't refute like the things that he's validating about the ancestors. And, and yeah, you know, in some ways, they're kind of both right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I guess what Jason was saying. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they're both right. I want to say his wig's starting to get out of hand at this point, too. <laughs> I think it's like a baseball cap on. It's really distracting. I think it was getting out of hand when he was like doing the tumble. Yeah. They finally get to the condos, and that's where my favorite actress, Nucci Neshoba, shows up for that one brief scene. <laughs> and then uh, they spend the night, and this was probably y'all's favorite scene where we got to see. Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> more, yeah. Ass, more sexiness of Gary Farmer's naked ass. All I want for Christmas Foley, <laughs> That Foley where he's scratching, I was like, oh, that's another touch. <laughs> yeah. All I want for Christmas is... <laughs> that's a classic scene. I think everyone remembers that scene. Especially <laughs> that the little butt scratch. He's like... Yeah. <laughs> Jesus, Philbert put some clothes on. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, right in his face. <laughs> <laughs> and the, the delivery is just chef's kiss. That line is just like... <laughs> like a one beat, and he's just like, Jesus, Philbert put some clothes on. <laughs> and that, for some reason... This moment reminds me of course this movie's older than this movie it reminds me of that tommy boy scene where you know or chris farley he's 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 wearing two short tidy whities and <laughs> he says oh hold me and then, and, uh, and david spade goes yikes you know and, and chris farley says, don't run away from your feelings and like, come on martinez don't run away from your feelings <laughs> <laughs> There's something about a big dude that's like half naked that's always funny. I don't know. 
don't know what it is. <laughs> Who just embraces it? You know? Well, Jason, next time I stay at your place, so make sure I be butt naked. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus, totally put some. <laughs> so it's the next day. Buddy's fixing the car. Wolf shows up, and this scene is kind of like where they kind of have an understanding of each other, and it, it seems like. And Buddy's like they, you know, giving him a, a hug and. And to me, this was like him understanding Wolf's perspective. And so I thought that was a good scene. And so they continue down with Creedence Clearwater Revival playing. As he's driving, Spielberg talks about the plains being a place where the Comanche roamed, y'all's people. and Which is but, not where they're at. Like, I don't know where he's at at that point. Like, <laughs> time and time space have everybody. no meaning. Somewhere between Denver and Santa Fe. <laughs> <laughs> like, what is he talking about? <laughs> Anyways, yeah, I need to get back to the whole magic thing. My bad. <laughs> yeah, yeah, my own rules. I'm breaking my own rules. <laughs> it's a Christmas miracle. Yeah. Christmas miracle. Logic goes out the window. <laughs> And and then Buddy's like, Jesus, you got to chill this shit out. And, you know, he, he doesn't want this mystical horse shit when things go down. Philbert again says, we are Cheyenne. All this shit in the world cannot change that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so then that's when Philbert asks for caramel corn. Buddy rips into him saying, saying all his food is sugar, grease, and beer. Yeah. And so he's sitting there while he's smoking his weed, fixing his gun. Yeah. And then he's that arachnid the size of, what is it, the size of the, the Pentagon. Pentagon. <laughs> It's, so like, it's such a weird line. <laughs> <laughs> and he also says, Jesus, Wilbur, all your eat are carcinogens. Yeah. Like, <laughs> says that. <laughs> Nutritionists do. <laughs> yes. Yes. And so that's when he pulls over the side road and uh, uh, Buddy falls out the car and the gun falls and breaks. The gun breaks. Oh, oh my God. The gun he's super mad about it but i'm like if your gun breaks that doesn't mean it's a good gun sure <laughs> you're like, lucky it off of your hand just throw, <laughs> throws it like as if it couldn't land and like shoot somebody like, like oh this is useless i was like that's not safe come on hey martinez so roy had an interesting thought about it i mean he thought maybe maybe he was he, he thought well that's an old he says that looks like an old six shooter that they use in the westerns and like you said this is a western and he thought maybe maybe it's probably maybe an unintentional commentary about how that's what that's the one that all the cowboys used and how that's the one that had all these like they, they shot impossible distances you know and that they're they're like the gun those guns in and of themselves are from fantasy land you know they do things that are physically probably not possible for them to do and so maybe there's maybe i don't know roy thought maybe there was a symbolism and that it breaks he doesn't he's not going to use that no 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 we don't use that that western colonized crap <laughs> yeah that's a, that's an interesting interpretation yeah. <laughs> compliments of the hubs <laughs> yeah yeah definitely I, go ahead no right. no go ahead Oh, yeah, I was just going to say, yeah, because this has also been considered a modern Western. And so that mm -hmm. throw away this Western idealism of of guns. And, you know, at, at the end, you know, we find out that he's throwing a window that is like actually a tomahawk, you know, so. Yeah. 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 <laughs> In the plaza. 
Mm-hmm. Yes. Right. Yeah, in the plaza. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> in front of the La Fonda. Right. Yeah. Right in front of the. Uh, <laughs> right. No, no. It's in front of the no. Frito Pie place. The That's Frito the Pie. Place. Dime. Yeah. Okay. We. Yeah, La Fonda is further down the road. We hoped they were eating in the La Fonda, like the lo- lobby of the La Fonda. Oh, that's, that's way <laughs> that's way further. Way further. We were hoping down. anyway. <laughs> yeah, that's like a block away. You know, what were we gonna say? Sunrise. Uh, I was gonna say that uh, uh, this moment also has like this uh, tumble mm-hmm. that a Martinez does out of the vehicle. It's just like this one moment of like this stunt work that happens. Yeah. <laughs> And uh, it was very impressive <laughs> to me, and also like seemingly reckless. <laughs> <laughs> but it's also like the same moves that they do at the end to like get <laughs> to get the kids and Bonnie out of oh, the yeah. and, like do the oh, same yeah. move. <laughs> yeah. Um, foreshadowing. Foreshadowing, yeah. There you Absolutely. go. Yeah. So I don't know if you guys ever had those any cars where the door would pop open. I have. Open. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> that's realistic to yeah. me. <laughs> Mine was a driver's side. Oh yeah, I had to hold it like this, and then... <laughs> I get that uh, that that stretchy rope and, and put it around the. the that's the smart. Bungee cord. Bungee cord. Yeah. Because <laughs> one time my cousin yeah. actually he was a little kid he fell out the back of the car because that door. Was... <laughs> I had a big long Monte Carlo SS heavy heavy door that I always had to like do this. And, yeah. <laughs> well, you know, trying to be cool and shit. Yeah, <laughs> that's really just holding the door. <laughs> and so then Philbert gets the the spider out and lays it gently down to the ground, saying, "Trickster takes many forms. We must keep our medicine good." <laughs> But Buddy's all pissed off, and then Philbert looks at it and sees that they're at Santa Fe. And then Philbert says, sorry, my pony threw you, buddy, which is, again, foreshadowing. Mm-hmm. And so Rabbit shows up in jail to bail uh, Bonnie out, and they won't do it because it's Christmas time. And so she gets to go visit with Bonnie briefly. And then Buddy and Philbert show up. And, of course, Buddy's all angry, trying to get his sister out of jail. I, I was surprised that he didn't get arrested at that point because you know yeah. he, <laughs> he would get totally tased in 2022. Yeah, like, no way. <laughs> He's like, let me out. I'm like, oh, they'd be like, oh, they get worse than tased. Yeah, yeah, yeah probably worse than tased. Yeah. Probably got shot. Yeah. Oh yeah, they wouldn't let him in there, especially if he's an aimster. Like they wouldn't let him in there. You know, yeah, but that yeah. was a totally. Com- very funny comedic moment where you have the shortest cop, but it felt like it was played for comedy where you have the shortest cop mm-hmm. like pressing her hands on him and she's like, she's yeah. like you can't come in here, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and it was just, it seemed to be played for comedy. Yeah. Wow. Can I talk just a moment about that introduction of Rabbit and how it annoyed me? The introduction to Rabbit annoyed me because because this was the way she was filmed and her intro was just so for the male gaze so for the white male gaze and whoever else male gazes but i was just like oh we got a butt shot oh yeah look at that tight butt in the tight jeans and the boot and i don't want to blame her for having those things because you know uh, that's not her thing that's what hollywood asks that she has but i just mean like i just got a little bit like you know like because I was just like, oh, of course, she's like, here we go. That's that typical male gaze thing. You're like, we're the first thing we see is not her face. Uh, I, I guess maybe I have to compliment that maybe that's not how 
uh, the one Native woman was introduced. That's not how neither of the Native women were introduced. So I, I, I'm going to give mm. them a little bit of props for that. Not that they had as be more human roles than I hope they would. But anyway, <clears throat> but no, she's like, hey, look, look at this. Woo, up and down the way that we usually do women. So that was that was thing number one. Number two, I thought her performance was pretty good, but I also thought she was kind of knockoff Dolly Parton. In uh, except you know she's going to spring her buddy out of jail, but I would have rather watched Dolly Parton do that because that would be fun. <laughs> it was a low budget movie. They couldn't afford Dolly Parton. They probably couldn't afford Dolly. Sure. <laughs> can't afford Dolly Parton, so they have to go with Texas Dolly Parton. The Texas Tornado. What do you call it? Texas, Texas Twister. Twister. Texas Twister. Oh, well, yeah. you're a real you're a real Texas Twister, aren't you? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was like, <laughs> that whole... Another a corny line, like a weird corny line. <laughs> <laughs> that whole, uh, I don't know, that whole attempt at a meet cute was just really, it didn't sell it for me, and I was really like, no, no, I don't, I don't see that happening. But Martinez, I don't know, I guess he's able to sell it because um, he, he used to do soap operas, right, before this, that's, that's what he was. Yeah, so, so I was like, so I was like, so he's used to doing those looks like, oh my gosh, I'm in an argument with you, but you're also attractive. Yeah. <laughs> because, because of the way that the, because of the way that the camera did the male gaze, you. So anyway, I just had to put my two cents in about the darn male gaze for Rabbit. Anybody else have any thoughts on Rabbit? Yeah, one thing about Rabbit, I, I couldn't remember. It seemed like, like somewhere in these scenes, um, someone called her Bunny <laughs> rather than Rabbit. <laughs> it was a mistake. It was a mistake. But then I was start, starting to think, like, that's really strange that there's, like, Buddy, who's got a sister, Bonnie, who had a friend named Bunny. Bonnie. It's strange. <laughs> But it's rabbit. But it, uh, yeah. I just thought that was an interesting uh, thing that happened. <laughs> I, I feel like I don't. I don't know. I don't know if it was like a joke, like that. Buddy doesn't her name, and he calls her Bunny. Um, I don't even remember where it happens. Maybe I made it up. But uh, <laughs> maybe you heard Bunny. <laughs> maybe maybe I heard Bunny. <laughs> Bunny and Bonnie. Bunny and Bonnie. <laughs> Angel, did you have any thoughts on that uh, rabbit character? I, you know, she just kind of came out of nowhere, and I was like, why is she here? It's that whole thing. Like, if you took a character out of a movie, would you still have that movie? And with, yeah. if she wasn't there. But of all the people to fall for her, too, the the hardened Vietnam War veteran Aimster falls for the mm -hmm. Texas Twister. And, <laughs> right. You know, I don't I was just like, I don't, I don't buy it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I, okay. That she works for the feds or something. I, I liked it. I liked it. I'm the one. I'm the one person who liked it because, um, because it's a Christmas miracle. Because it's a Christmas miracle. <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, well, I mean, it was like it kind of like it was. It's kind of a. I don't know if it was truly a good attempt or, but I see it as an attempt to kind of soften up a Martinez a little, a little bit, I guess. Um, I don't know if it actually was that, but for me, it worked in that sense because it's like God, you're such a can you just like chill out? Can you, do you have like any type of other, other than just like this one dimensional, like aimster kind of thing? I get that the, the, the male gaze thing. I totally get, I totally get where you're coming from, Candace. Um, but that is, I mean, I guess that character, it kind of just provides a little bit of relief for me. It's like, you see that like, um, 
um, um, Filbert has a love interest, but A. Martinez doesn't. And so whether or not that actually works or not, I don't know. It's kind of a nice little tension for me to see that like, oh, so Filbert ends up with possibly this woman and A. Martinez is so screwed up. Maybe he needs some weird woman to like kind of come at him from a different angle that he's not used to. And, you know, I don't know. Manic I didn't, pixie I didn't dream mind girl, it. Like an early yeah. version of the manic pixie dream girl. I could, see, the manic pixie, I could yeah. see that argument too, for sure. But there's not even enough character development, honestly, to even like know where that happens, know what, what happens with that character, I guess. I don't know. It's, it's true. Um, I suppose my critique would be what I would have rather have seen. I would rather see A. Martinez just connect with his sister. We don't need Rabbit necessarily being like, I was there for Bonnie even whenever, whenever she was abandoned. She always felt like her family didn't care about her. And I'm like, we don't need this character saying these things actually i want to see a martinez connect with his sister but anyway that's you know and i'm uh, anyway that's that's my thing yeah i, I think i'd want to see that too because you didn't really you kind of do get it but not really and you know he's got nephews and nieces he didn't know about that he needs to connect with and the love story is uh, Buddy and Philbert, right? Is is the love story we care about? I do think that uh, Rabbit does function in a way for me that allows me to compare and contrast between how Bonnie is a little bit more functional in the in the world and the way that her brother is not. Mm. She's not holding anger towards this white woman in her life. She can still have a friendship. Mm. So much that she's like relying on this, this woman to like take care of her kids while she's in jail. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And it seems like that's an important thing just in the, just why for me, I think rabbit is important. I was like worried about the kids. As soon as the kids are kicked out, I was like, where are these kids going to go? And they're like wandering around the street and trying to like, you know, like they're learning about their identity very generally. But mm -hmm. um, the fact that there's somebody who's there to take care of the kids, I think that's, all these things are like healthy relationships that I think Buddy does not have. And she's sort of like been able to figure out how to make that happen out in the world. She's like interesting character, even though we don't see too much of her, but she's like the single mom balancing these kids, a, a perhaps this healthy relationship with this female friend and living in the urban world. Um, uh, she's probably not teaching her children about their identity, which is why they're learning on the street um but and but they they also they ask rabbit what their tribe is right yeah mm -hmm. and rabbit's able to provide answers that bonnie can't but there's like just this interesting like implication of this functioning world what's cool is like we we don't really define either of these women yeah. i mean they're sort of that's good and bad in that they're excluding real details about them but also it's like maybe they are complete enough that we don't have to like have to explain a lot of these things about them but yeah. also isn't it nice that it adds a nice texture of like this kind of there's this perfectly curated world of indigenous people right and mm -hmm. then you kind of get thrown in like because there's we all know white people i mean mm -hmm. it's it's inevitable you have to mm -hmm. you have to mm -hmm. get along in the world and and mm -hmm. we'll know a white person mm -hmm. so it adds this this new texture of like not new texture, but it adds a, rea a realistic texture of like, here's a white person that we will all in 
inevitably know. And so it's, we don't live in a perfectly curated native world. And mm -hmm. So it was nice for me, it was actually kind of nice to see how that might, mm -hmm. how that character kind of bounces off these other characters, you know, just like, you know, how that, that I mean, not just the sexual tension, but also like the friendship that she has with, um, what's the, Bonnie? Bonnie. Bonnie. Yeah. And I think that would help it if we did develop those two female characters more mm -hmm. to have a storyline with them doing something. And maybe mm -hmm. if they did Power Highway 2, it could be the Bonnie and Rabbit story. Bunny and Rabbit. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because Bunny Rabbit story. One of the things I, I heard or, or read was that there were scenes that were cut where there was a Bonnie and Rabbit, you know, more more of a development of, of their story that were cut. So that's which kind is of usually kind of what happens like that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. They always cut the women's stories, you know. <laughs> okay. So they tell uh Philbert tells Bonnie that he'll he'll be back. You're you're making an assumption that Bonnie and Philbert <gasps> have a love story. Is that right, Jason? Was that enough? Who's having a love story with Philbert? Oh, well, Bonnie. I mean, it seems like Philbert. Yeah, I mean, I think that's not necessarily like something that's subtle. It's like it's established yeah, that, that he has a crush on her. Yeah, and then this scene where he sees her and says, we'll be back for you, Bonnie. And she has this reaction yeah. Yeah. almost like, oh, you know. <laughs> now, Filbert's being a badass. He's yeah. like, I could crush this little person in front of me, but I'm not going to do that. I'll be back, you know. Mm -hmm. I mean, he's chill. He's the one who's chill, you know. And actually, it's all that cash. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. Yeah, miraculously, there's the Christmas oh, yeah. miracle. <laughs> yeah, the Christmas. an open door. Th this, <laughs> yeah. this this police station is the worst run police station ever. <laughs> <laughs> like, where, where are the security cameras? What is why is nothing locked up? I mean the like, doors no, are half day. open so he could see it. <laughs> He's all like Shaw. <laughs> So that was, yeah, again, as a kid, when I saw it, I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> I wish it was that easy. <laughs> That's in that like, super nice part of Santa Fe where they don't have a lot of crime, I guess. And yeah. you just like walk around. Hold There's up. like a whole bunch of cash and he only, he only takes like 4,000 bucks. Yeah. yeah. So that happens. Philbert says he's going to go bathroom and he's looking for the bathroom. He sees the money and he says, Shaw, and takes the money while Buddy and Rabbit are outside and having their sexual tension happening. That's where Bonnie said that. Uh, I mean, where Rabbit says that you fuck me up now, Sunrise. <laughs> that Bonnie never gave a shit about her as a kid. And then they go drinking. He's like, a really nice gonna drink. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's a nice bar. Yeah, it was. So I like, yeah, like, I thought like that was a bar or something. That looks What's like that? Hotel Saint Francis. It looks like oh, Hotel Saint Francis. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So very chichi, very posh. And as Buddy sees Sandy Youngblood talking to some woman trying to hit on her, he gets up to go with him, and Philbert goes to get the kids. And so Buddy and Youngblood get in a fight in a fisticuff, and I, Youngblood pulls out a gun. Right? He, he has a gun. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He pulls out. Oh, he pulls out a gun, and it's yeah, like, yeah. what? Yeah, <laughs> just crazy. It's a western. It's a western. Yeah, it's a western. That's true. Yeah, it's a western. But yeah, he also has that line. Scene. We yeah, also yeah. have the line though, too. Where what does he say? My red doesn't wash off. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, he, he throws the glass. Yeah, because he threw yeah. the glass on. <laughs> 
My red doesn't wash off. <laughs> <laughs> and then he karate chops him. Yeah, he totally karate. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Star Trek style, like. Something in the next scene is Pilbert's with the kids talking about the medicine bundle and how he needs to get four tokens uh, that, that come to you in a special way to protect you. And he says, "There's Cheyenne, the awakening of the clear blue earth." And that's when they ask about Uncle Buddy, and that's where he says, "Uncle Buddy is my best friend." And Buddy uh, and Rabbit are looking for the kids. They don't know where they are. And that's where he says a sign: "You are a Texas twister." <laughs> says, I know what I want. <laughs> yeah, like it's <laughs> like random. You're a real Texas <laughs> twister. You know that <laughs> Texas twister. And so then they pull up to the jail place and the, the little girl said, we should have been in a car. And Pilbert's like, this is, I got the pony. And she's like, your pony's an old nag. <laughs> <laughs> and Pilbert's like, we must prepare for battle and tells them to go bring the captive woman. <laughs> and so then we uh, see inside the feds talking to Sandy and telling them to get back. And the, the chief shows up, wanting to see Bonnie. And meanwhile, Pilbert and kids are tying the rope to the jail cell bars. And then they tie it to protected a pony attempting to make a jailbreak to free Bonnie like in that movie they saw. The chief sees them out there and decides to just leave and Philbert's doing his prayer and he starts the car he's pulling forward and and then um, he starts sweating a lot too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Moving his head, getting down. <laughs> it's almost very sexual. You know, he's like, like yeah. <laughs> the sweat are coming down. <laughs> And so the bars come off, the wall falls off, and, oh and, the, and so they drive off. And then the you know the cops are all, oh no, she's escaping, and they all come running out, hitting yeah. Sandy. It's like Keystone cops; everybody's falling all over each other. And so as he's driving through this through the square, all of a sudden, Rabbit and and Buddy show up. Hey, pick us up! Like, <laughs> <laughs> running through Perfect the streets, timing. Santa Fe. Yes. And they're not, and they're not dragging the bars behind them. Yeah, they're oh, yeah, like somehow the... yeah. broke, and it's just the rope yeah. hanging off. <laughs> Angela, Angela, it's another Christmas miracle. It's magic. <laughs> and so they're trying to get the cars locked. So Buddy's rolling down the window, and it breaks off again. And so he opens the car and lets them in. And of course, he does that scene. And this was kind of like a controversial scene at some point about like you know, going back into that stereotype of an Indian mm -hmm. warrior. Right. Did you guys oh, have yeah. any thoughts about this scene of what you think? Thought it was... go, go ahead, go ahead, Kenny. Oh, I was just going to say, I thought it was, well, it's the calm, it's his arc, it's his character arc. He went back, yeah. And he's got that, I guess he threw the window, but yeah, it's like his, it's his character arc, but I thought it was kind of goofy. I thought it was funny and I accepted it. You know, I didn't really think, I didn't, I didn't think twice about a controversy really, but because uh, based on the visions that we've seen prior to this, like, I don't know, it made sense. It made sense to me. It was yeah, in terms really of the style. Mm -hmm. yeah. It, yeah. yeah. It's sort of like leap up in the air somehow. He's like on a trampoline going yeah. up and yeah. yeah. Uh, I, I did think, I mean, like it's, it is cartoonish and it is like a little like overly performative. It's like is performing what he thinks this Cheyenne would act like in the way that he's like, you know, kind of doing this sort of like superhero <laughs> pose kind of. Yeah. Uh, but I thought it was interesting that it's like the first time where we really see Buddy have this vision mm -hmm. and he becomes it, you know, mm -hmm. I thought that was really yeah. great. 
Um, and that was really spoke something about like how he's really changed men. Um, and then he can have these visions and they may be kind of like on the verge of buying into some sort of stereotypes, just the way that I felt like maybe Filberts were at the beginning. They're overly romanticized, but over time it'll become less so, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that's the way that I was experiencing it, I think. I was enjoying it on a gut level. Like I enjoyed it at a gut level because it's like his, yeah, it's like the transformation of like, now he's finally like, he's embracing his traditionalism and he's like, he's finally, it's starting to sink in, you know, and, and the juxtaposition of him ends, you know, in the plaza, just me having been there so many times and seen that little specific spot. And then it just really, to me, it just seemed cool, you know, just to, to embrace that just gut level feeling of just like the, you know, doing away with like that it's, you know, a white screenwriter, a white director. And yeah, I know that that, that, that is the case, but again, Christmas magic, <laughs> just kind of just <laughs> embracing like the, the lack, the taking logic out of it and just take, just embracing like the scene for what it is. And just, yeah, I, I liked it a lot just cause, just cause I choose to celebrate that, that kind of like what that feels like or what that means to the, the, what that feels like basically. I never bumped me until somebody started talking about it. And um, when um, Jonathan Wax talked about it, he was like, the reason I did it is because I wanted to show that Buddy has finally become this full warrior. And because film is a visual medium, yeah, I had to show it this way. He said, I don't know if it would have played as well if I just had him as a in his normal modern clothes throwing that glass. And mm-hmm. would that translate over to the audience? And so his feeling was that he had to show it that way. I thought it was good to me. It's an aesthetic choice. I mean, you could you could just have him, you know, holding that glass or throwing the glass and and then what is that? What does that uh, transmit? What does that uh, show the audience? You know, as, yeah. how does that is that the same as that visual language of that? Yeah. You know, character kind of like cartoon character. Like, I think there's not like a perfect way to do it because even that would probably be yeah. stereotypical. Well, you know, if he gave out a war whoop or whatever, ooh, you know. Mm-hmm. Well, mm-hmm. you you think about Reservation Dogs and like how might some of the directors handle that, and if they did it that way, would it be considered okay? You know, yeah. would it? Because they have done things. I mean, William Knifeman. You know, it's like mm-hmm. he's a he's a, a, a comic comical character and has been put in positions that are yeah. comical. <laughs> and a quick side note is that when that car flipped, that police car, the stunt driver actually got knocked unconscious. Oh, oh my goodness! <laughs> yeah, and everybody got scared. I thought he was dead for a little bit, and then they. Wow. It's an in intense life. stunt. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I was surprised they did that in the square. Yeah, Yeah. totally. And so they get in the car, they haul ass, and of course, uh, what's got Christmas magic? The chief is right behind him and pulls out. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I was like, how? Yeah, he's got good instincts. Like he's and and what what dedication? Like (laughs) he really believes in his tribal members. (laughs) He drove all the way from like uh, you know what. Check on Bonnie and then uh, it probably uh, took him less time since he didn't go through the Black Hills. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> True. Our chief is... needs to take note of this. <laughs> yeah. Before GPS, I mean, right. man. <laughs> right. <laughs> so it's the famous scene where, where they're going down the mountain and 
the car sparks and the brakes go out and the chief lets the cows out in the road to stop the police from coming. Oh, and then the white cop, he has that line says, all right, boys, let's cowboy up. We got work to do. <laughs> oh, I can't take that scene where the, the, the police cars actually ram into those cows, though. Oh, it, Ooh, the, 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 some of them like really like they really get knocked upward. Um, yeah, yeah. That bothered me, too, because, you know, 80s filmmaking again, it's like, mm -hmm. I kind of don't give a fuck. And it's like, oh, <laughs> yeah, it's like, oh, who got well, that was real. I'm assuming so. It wasn't I'm, ass I'm assuming digital. so. Yeah. Like if they're running out of money, they probably don't have like. <laughs> yeah, but if they, I mean, think how much that cow is worth. Yeah, yeah, that's mm -hmm. what I was thinking. Like, I'm. That's an expensive stunt right there. Yeah, oh, but the, I mean, like clearly in the shot, like they can't choreograph these cows to like leap and 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 buckle the way that they do. Like, there's a moment where like the there's like two shots, two angles where like the car basically rams in, and there's like. You, you see them domino forward and one goes yeah. upward. Yeah. And, and I didn't even notice that. I didn't yeah. notice it. It's oh, it yeah. hard for me to watch. Oh, yeah. Wow. Even again, that one's even as a kid, I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe they had some steaks that evening, you know? <laughs> Rap party. <laughs> yeah. Rap party. Rap party was right, all steaks. Yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. And so then that's when the brakes go out and everybody's jumping out and uh, the uh, little sky's hanging on the, on the fieldbird and Buddy grabs them and they all roll out and the car goes down the ravine and explodes. Everything goes up in, in flames. And that's the scene where the cops see the explosion and say, well, it's all over, boys. Let's go home. <laughs> <laughs> and, so, and then for me, this is the scene that kind of like is the real like full becoming of, of Buddy of where he's finally tearing up and crying for Philbert, thinking that he's dead. And uh, the kid was like, he was almost a warrior. And then <laughs> we, we see Philbert walking up and he's like, my pony threw me. Now he's dead. And he's holding the door handle, <laughs> which is a third token, by the way. <laughs> so did, like, you got your token. <laughs> did anyone get the money? That's what I was like. I didn't notice if like I think he gave it back coat. to the rabbit and them. They had it in the back. Okay. They put it in their pockets. Okay. What were you saying, Angela? I thought it was in his pocket. He handed out a couple, but the rest were in his jacket. Yeah, yeah I think it was in his jacket. And so then we get that shot of rabbit and buddy together, and she's all like, hey, what's up? Kind of look at him. <laughs> And then uh, Philbert gives the uh, buddy the purple heart and they extend their hands doing the bro handshake and give each other a hug. Philbert tells his pony, very well, my brother. And <laughs> they start, I guess, walking towards the Pueblo, right? Because that, that was the thing they were heading to a Pueblo because that's where the jurisdiction ends, I guess, for the cops. Oh, okay. <laughs> so, I was like, that's kind of what where I are they going? Uh, yeah, okay. Yeah. And then as they're walking, the chief shows up and picks them up and Abruptly, quickly, that's the end of the movie. <laughs> the chief's car looks a lot like uh, Gary Farmer's car in Smoke Signals, and I wondered if that was intentional. That truck. Oh, my mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I remember those were very common trucks. Like I was going to say, everybody had yeah. those trucks. Everybody <laughs> had those trucks. Yeah. <laughs> we, had, we had that truck. <laughs> mm -hmm. And then a real quick trivia for you guys is Janelle Romero, who played Bonnie, was wearing white shoes in this in these last scenes. Mm -hmm. and it didn't please the cinematographer's aesthetic and so they mm -hmm. had her take them off because they couldn't yeah. figure out what to do with it mm -hmm. and, but it was so cold outside because she's basically barefooted mm -hmm. that she got frostbite on the bottom of the feet 
And oh. so she says that now she has like no feeling in the bottom of her feet. Oh. Yeah. And so again, it's that whole thing. Like you guys were talking about the John Landis uh, film where he killed those kids and that man and a mm-hmm. few other people, I think it's like, it's something that we had to think about as filmmakers. It's like, you know, just because you want something, don't harm other people. Don't harm cows either, you know? (laughs) 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 Because it's not really worth it. Because at the end of the day, we're not looking at their feet to see what their shoes are wearing. Right. Right. Paying attention to the story. Well, there will be always someone who just like notices. There'll always be some jerk. (laughs) You're like, hey, there was like some, there's not continuity there. Yeah, yeah. I thought she was barefoot, but I, I was like, yeah. I can't be yeah. right. Why does she not have any shoes? Yeah. yeah, she. Yeah, we had a discussion. Maya and I had a discussion about that, and she was like, "Well, she was in jail, and she, you know, they could have taken the shoes. They probably take that stuff away from her. It seemed like it made sense to her that the jail would have taken things away, and she would have been barefoot, possibly. But of course, she had no time to get those things from the front if she'd been busted out of jail the way that she had." Uh, well, she would at least have flip flops. Could have flip flops. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. could have. That's what they give you, like at jail, is flip flops, and then as uh, Tully totally knows, sandwich. What's that? As Tully totally knows. As Tully totally knows. I yeah. actually worked in the jail, so I do know actually. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, but in like a a smaller jail, what do you, well, that's probably like a city or a county. They probably wouldn't even take the shoes, would they? Or do you guys even know? talking to jason actually yeah <laughs> it's a movie the santa fe authority <laughs> but i mean another thing is that i mean they, they have to tumble out of that car right, right. he's like he can't break and like they push the young girl out we don't see the tumble but she and bonnie go flying out so i guess she could have also lost her shoes in the middle of the tumble yeah. you know and they're going like 20 30 miles an hour so yeah yeah um but I don't know. I mean, Jason still could answer about whether they take the shoes or not. <laughs> Do they take the shoes or Shoes in jail. The shoe in jail question. But at the end of the day, don't harm your actors. Don't harm your animals. <laughs> or your crew. Or your crew. Or your crew, yeah. <laughs> I remember Sally K- Kawayash was angry at me because of uh, I, I, she was hungry. So that's the worst I've gone down that road. She was hangry and went for five hours, I think. Oh my God. That is a cardinal sin. I know. You don't think about it. Craft services? What? Do I look like I have money? I don't have money. But you probably got chips or something somewhere. I mean, we went to like uh, that assorted bag of chips things. Chipotle. We went to Chipotle. Snack bars. You got to have those snack bars around. Coffee. (laughs) Nuts. Yeah. Those really guys, dry granola bars. Yeah. You guys are rich. <laughs> yeah, that suck moisture out of your mouth. Yes. <laughs> You're more dry after you yeah. eat it. Yeah. <laughs> Those are on every set. Really rich. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Just have a few. What do we got the house you can bring? <laughs> so we kind of talked about the ending of the movie in. I remember as a kid, I was bumped by it. I was like, he didn't never, he didn't finish getting his tokens, and we don't know what happened with the boat. Mm-hmm. And um, and so then on this second viewing, not taking out of the account that maybe they didn't shoot shoot anymore because they ran out of budget. 
but one of the things that I thought about was like, maybe this is because this is still a journey and we're just seeing a part of the journey. That journey never ends. Mm. And, you know, it's because like, you know, like, like Gilbert said, they're always going to be the same and we're always the same people, meaning that these things will always be happening. We'll always have to deal with this shit. Mm. And, but we do deal with it. Did you guys have any feelings towards this ending or, or like any thought about it? You know, we watched Duel in school. Is that the car? That's the car one with the Spielberg. Mm. It had this big conversation about what, why there was an, an explosion at the end and what that signified and da 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 da. And then whoever was teaching was like, well, here's the real story. They didn't have enough money for gas yeah. to make yeah. the explosion. Yeah. So I feel yeah. like they didn't have enough money mm-hmm. to finish out all of these questions. Mm-hmm. I'm of the same feeling as Angela. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's what I feel. That's what I think too. But you know, if we were because we're analyzing a movie, we're not analyzing what happened behind the scenes, right? Mm-hmm. To me, because otherwise, you just say, "Oh, it, it's just the movie." That's why it was in the script. Why did this guy do this thing? Because it was in the script. Mm-hmm. And then <laughs> you let everything go, right? So you, for me, as a, as a film watcher, I always want to know why it's this way or how it's this way, regardless of like Jaws, right? If we're talking about Spielberg, we don't ever see the shark, you know? We all know the backstories because it kept fucking up. But, <laughs> you know, it made a scarier movie and it made a better movie. Yeah. But, you know, not knowing that backstory does not take away from my jo- enjoyment of that movie, right? I'll just keep it brief it's like i i just uh i trust i trust the ending and by yeah. that i mean i trust i'm okay i'm i wouldn't even say I, if I, I i'm okay with it but that doesn't mean like i'm just okay with it i'm okay with how it ended i'm like i'm i'm comfortable with how they the people decided to end this film like i did i'm not uncomfortable about it i'm i took enjoyment from the film i they they're walking it looks like turquoise trail to me which is not anywhere near a pueblo which is funny but that doesn't matter <laughs> it's magic it's really magic it's magic <laughs> so it's like i'm okay with it i'm okay with every the, the ending I, I it i was cool with how things worked out yeah i yeah. don't i don't see how else it would have i mean it would have opened up a whole new 30 minutes to an hour resolution of resolution yeah. that we don't really it you know it would kill the magic feel it definitely feels mm-hmm. like the the primary story of the two male protagonists have come to a conclusion yeah you know um that they understand each other um and that um they've both grown they've both become people that they've envisioned becoming and it's really not about the solutions to the specific problems that like what Tully mentioned, I think. You know, these problems will persist, but they are the people who can solve those problems now, I think. And for me, it's okay that it ends without the vote um, because it seems like no matter what, they'll work it out together. And it's it, like the community has grown larger. Like who's going to help solve problems? It's like Rabbit is one of them, I guess, now. Um, but the the head of the tribe is there with them. Bonnie's there, the future of Bonnie's kids who are learning about all of these things. All of these people are going to help resolve the problems now. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, like that's, that is also a Christmas 
you know ending where it's like the the full family is finally together after some travel and it's really not at all about like the presence or what's going to happen later it's all about the fact that they are now able to be together um so i feel as like as dysfunctional that, as they may be yeah it's dysfunctional yeah i mean like every every family or community has some dysfunction especially in a christmas movie oh gosh <laughs> Yeah, so I feel like it was in, the things that were resolved were those things, which seem to be more important than like the specific political issues. Which, if that's what we're really concerned about, then we're starting to turn into who, um, Buddy is at the beginning of the movie, where we're not thinking about like us as a people and growing together. Going with what you said, because like you know, it's it's a independent film ending too, right? Because you don't always have to have everything resolved and tied up in a nice little bowl and so we just get to create what that ending is going to be or what's going to happen next and so for me like you said it does tell the story of these two warriors who are on a journey who have kind of what do you call it, what do you call it this binary kind of connection of like you know one warrior's more of a peaceful gentle person is one other one's an angry one and they have to you know use each other's power in order to accomplish this goal of you know, getting your sister becoming their full selves and, mm -hmm. and it's together that they had to do that. And we see that story happen. And that's why I don't hate it, hate this movie. You know, that's why I don't hate that ending. But as a kid, I always say, well, when's he going to get his fourth token? You know, was my main concern. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but I assume he will as he's going back to Montana, you know. Yeah, probably another yeah. one. Yeah, probably right on the other side of the hill when they roll down it. Is <laughs> <laughs> that going to be that money in his pocket? That's So, has anyone ever read the book? And yeah. that's by a Huron guy. You said that's an actual native guy who wrote that, right? You said, yeah, yeah. That's that's what I understand. He's Huron. He's dead now, and he he wrote the book, and he also wrote a sequel to the book. I don't know if you got, anybody knew that. Oh, and it was no. yeah, it was called Sweet Medicine, and it was about Philbert and Buddy after a movie was made about them and how they're trying to go to go watch that movie and they end up going to watch a different movie <laughs> <laughs> that's sort of, i mean like that's that's yeah that's really like buddy and filbert strike back is what that yeah. movie is. It is, <laughs> yeah, it's like exactly. it's 20 pages long <laughs> so, i gotta mention the music like so mm -hmm. the music in this movie like i loved it i because it really helped me get into that the the Christmas magic of this movie that it is mad it's it's in those veins of it's fantasy it's it's buddy and uh it was funny like even uh Roy was telling me about you know he's telling me about Robbie Robertson you know and uh we're talking about mm -hmm. George Harrison you know and we're talking about this music and uh but something I picked up on I just just this music you know it's so uplifting and uh it's very very produced and uh i just remember thinking man i just really want you two to come in and just sing in the name mm -hmm. of love and uh then uh, of course it's later in the credits so i say yes it is you two too <laughs> and uh so i just wanted to say a note about this music that i was super into the music super into what it did for the film the flow of the film and that the music is played that 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 beautiful Robbie Robertson that, that YouTube music is is played whenever every single time Philbert has the has a every time he gets a token every time there's a vision uh, 
except for maybe the the Fort Robertson one. But every time there's like an uplifting vision, like that's the music that is underscoring and playing. And it, it was a very good fit for the film and the theme. And like everyone else has said, as far as the ending, yes, it's abrupt, but because that the spiritual arcs and the spiritual journeys are fulfilled, like I went to bed like in a happy mood from watching this movie and I woke up feeling good about it too just thinking about Gary Farmer's happy face <laughs> so, I, I don't know why I was just like oh you know oh that's <laughs> sweet so anyway yeah those are my final closing thoughts is uh, um music was a great character uh I love how very period it sounds I, I don't know I, I have a real love affair with like music and synthesizer things from like the 80s and 90s I, I just have a just have a thing for it I just I totally agree with Candace it's like I, I'm I'm a big music person music is character how music uh complements a film and yeah this film I don't know I can't imagine it with any other type of music than the than this Robbie Robertson you know track score whatever you want to call it um it just complements so much to the, and it's of the period. Um, love this music. It, it, uh, uh, also, just, uh, I'm thinking, I've been working on this piece about like, um, and it just keep, continues to not get finished because I need to finish it. <laughs> and it's about like uh, how uh, indigenous actors, uh, how are we at a point now? I don't, I don't know if we are or not, but if indigenous, if, if we're at a point now where indigenous actors sh should play their actual, tribal, the, 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 as the characters, tribes are written. And what I mean, like, should Navajos play Navajos? Should Cherokees play Cherokees? Choctaws play Choctaws. Um, but in this film, in particular, I, I, it kind of brings me back to this, to the very beginning of like, not the beginning, but 1988, I guess, 89. And we have a Martinez who's not even native, who's playing like a pretty believable native, although the lines are clunky, not his fault. And then, um, um uh, goddamn uh Philbert is not I mean Gary uh Gary Farmer is not uh Cheyenne but to me I mean it's I mean he's playing this character as you know to me I, I believe it so it's just like it's very fascinating to me to see these characters who are not playing the tribes that they are but they're believable to me you know it doesn't well I, I don't even think about it I guess it doesn't matter and maybe it's not even the point and it just kind of reminds me of like this has been going on for a while people who are not playing their tribes and i don't know if it's necessarily i don't know if it's necessary that we need to have that and i also i don't know if it's possible i don't know if we have enough you know comanches in particular to play comanches or whatever you know hulu or that that hulu that uh prey show kind of points mm -hmm. points to the fact we don't i don't know um there's not any other than jane and you know more about this than I do, Sunrise, like the Comanche characters that are in that film, but the lead's not Comanche. Uh, mm -hmm. But yeah, it's it's uh, fascinating to observe this film from that lens also. Well, I was really glad that you picked this for the Christmas special. Yeah, maybe believe in Christmas magic. <laughs> <laughs> yes, uh, yeah, so for the music, yeah, I did like uh, Robbie Robertson's music. I've always like been a fan, even before I knew who he was, because you know he, I was a Bob Dylan fan as a little kid, and the band played with uh, Bob Dylan. Yeah. yeah. And so they were in the last, last vaults, right? Yes. 
And so, and so I've always liked that music. And of course that song about going to Nazareth, whatever that song is called. Yeah. And that's a big song for me. And, and first time I learned that Robbie Robertson was a, 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 a an indigenous dude was from that Native American soundtrack. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Album that I play all the time. It's always mm-hmm. playing. So I'm glad that, you know. That, and he's Mohawk, right? Yeah, he's Mohawk. Mm-hmm. Yes. And so it's, it was kind of cool to see this. And so just to know that, you know, he got to contribute to it. And of course, it's very Robert Robertson music. <laughs> mm-hmm. Very. I mean, yeah, it made very. me happy. As soon as I yeah. heard those first notes, I was like, oh, mm-hmm. Robbie Robertson. Mm-hmm. And Barry Goldberg, I don't know how much he contributed, but, you know, it, it kind of meshed together really well. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, if anybody's got nothing else to say, I guess. The sunrise. We didn't get sunrise. Oh, sunrise. What you going to say? Last <laughs> words. Um, I agree about the music. I mean, we went down a Robbie Robertson uh, rabbit hole on YouTube as a result of it. And, you know, it's nice. To, I mean, we we hit all those highlights, you know, especially the Native American uh, documentary soundtrack, the ghost dance song. If anybody's not heard that song, you definitely should check out that song. It's like very powerful and such an amazing um, piece of work. Uh, but yeah, his his contribution can't be understated, I think. Or overstated can be overstated. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, great, uh, great film. Yeah, I get. I guess I could briefly say just to connect it to other episodes. Like, if anybody's interested, the director of photography did work on a Masters of Horror episode. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> connection, <laughs> uh-huh. And he also did another native movie called uh, Lakota Woman. Who is the DP? Is that uh, Karita is the last name. Yeah, Kuyomichi Karita. Chaka. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And since then, he's done a like like the the Masters of Horror episode was like a Takashi Miike film. If anybody's interested, okay. in Japanese extreme yeah. action horror guy. Uh, but today, it's it's interesting to see where he's gone. He's now shooting a lot of like the Medea movies. Oh, oh shit! That's right. I did see that. Yeah. Whoa. <laughs> I love Medea movies. Yeah, Medea. Yeah. <laughs> Those fuckers crack me up so much, man. Yeah, I, totally. I want to feel good. I watch a Medea shit. That shit just has me. <laughs> Remember, this is the seasons for all that shit that you're supposed to fucking do during these seasons. And <laughs> also, it's a time for giving. So is there any organization that you guys like to recommend to give money to? Yes, I'd like to recommend the National Indigenous Women's Resource Center.org, N-I-W-R-C.org. For your giving needs, they supply resources and uh, educational materials for, um, uh, and they advocate for violence against women and for uh, domestic abuse and sexual assault. uh, survivors as well so if you're in the given season consider giving to that organization um yeah consider giving all right anybody else sovereignty school in oklahoma city could really use some support yep. it's a charter school for native students and has really made a difference in a lot of lives uh, i'm gonna say uh support indigenous art uh artists often don't get enough attention during the holidays and i'm also including like people on like youtube so like native youtubers uh, i'm sure many of them need funding so yeah. support your indigenous 
influencers and artists. Subscribe, mm. get to their Patreons, whatever else. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. Jay Snap. Uh, building upon Sunrise. Sunrise. I'm going to try to find my cash app. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Go to Jay Snap. <laughs> What's my, my Venmo real quick? Hold on. Venmo. Straight up cash. Cash works. If you got to change the, the money that jingles, that's preferable, but we like to have the kind that folds. <laughs> you, know, you know, real indigenous need some cash too. <laughs> we need a sponsor. Yeah, we need we all need microphones. We all need microphones. <laughs> Working microphones. <laughs> So seeing those cows, I would say give to the ASPCA <laughs> or any uh, animal rights organization. <laughs> mm -hmm. Who's speaking of YouTube? There's one live right now. Who did? Uh, what would Kitty do? She's a um, uh, Pueblo. She's sort of like a Mesa, Arizona. It's sure. <laughs> <laughs> live. I'm missing it. Let's let's end this. I'm missing it. <laughs> All right, y'all ready to do this? Yeah. All right, that's it. Merry Christmas, Happy Kwanzaa, Happy Hanukkah, Happy Festivus, and all these great holiday things. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you soon at some Indigenous time on this Indigenous channel. Don't just keep it real, keep it real. Indigenous. 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 Yes. 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 Yes.